A funny thing happened on the way to this Sunday. This, earlier this week, when Scott and I met to review the leaflet, as we do every week, either on Monday or Tuesday, and to look and make sure all the instructions are in there right and we know what the other one has planned, I was reading through the leaflet and I said to Scott, wait, these aren't the lessons that I'm already preparing a sermon on. And I said, I'm preparing for the eighth Sunday after Epiphany. And he said, Whitney, it's the last Sunday after Epiphany. I said, oh, that's right. Now, you might wonder how it is that I can be confused about this. Well, perhaps you're aware that, of course, Easter changes every year, the date on which it falls. Easter is always the first Sunday, or Easter's date is affected by the first full moon that falls either on or after the spring equinox on March 21st. So Easter, I think last year was in March, but this year it's April 20th. So Easter moves on the calendar. It's a movable feast. And that means that the season of Epiphany changes in length. The season of Epiphany starts on January 6th. No matter what day it is or what the moon is doing, January 6th is the Feast of the Epiphany. And it can vary how many Sundays are in that season of Epiphany. Sometimes three or four sometimes eight or nine. And so the fact remains that no matter how long the season of Epiphany is, on the last Sunday of Epiphany, the one right before Lent starts, we read about the Feast of the Transfiguration, as we did just now. And so I thought to myself, okay, that's fine. I've already got a sermon that's developing, but you know what? I'll save it till later. I'll save it till this passage from Matthew comes up again. And I looked on the calendar to see when there would be enough Sundays in this Feast of the Epiphany, in this season of Epiphany, when there would be enough Sundays for the eighth Sunday of Epiphany to happen. And it's in 2035. (laughs) I thought, you know what, that's okay then. I can still table this because the gospel lesson that's for the eighth Sunday of Epiphany also is in Luke. Luke tells a version of it too. So I went and looked in my books to find out when Luke's version of it would show up on a Sunday rotation. Because you may or you may not know that every year we work through a whole gospel. We don't read the entire thing, but we read almost all of it. This year is Matthew, next year is Mark, and the year after is Luke. So I thought, okay, it's only three years till we're to Luke, so let me see when this particular lesson that is in Luke falls on a Sunday. It doesn't. We don't read Luke's version of this particular part of Matthew's gospel. We don't read Luke's version at all on a Sunday. And so I thought to myself, oh my gosh, well, 2035 is a long way away. And who knows when you might have heard it before. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't do my backwards research to see when the eighth Sunday of Epiphany happened so that you would have heard this passage from Matthew because it has to coincide with the year that's Matthew's year. And then it dawned on me, what if you've never heard it? Because perhaps the last time it was read, you were sick. Or maybe you had overnight guests and you stayed home and made them breakfast on Sunday morning. Or maybe you were out of town on a business trip or on vacation or at a kid's function. Or maybe you had just stayed out late on Saturday night the night before and you thought, you know what, I'm tired. I'm not going to go to church this morning. What if you haven't even heard it? So I decided I'm going to preach on that sermon. I'm going to preach on Matthew 6. (laughs) Because you have got to hear this. 
This is, God's, this is the good news according to Jesus. And it is happening on the Mount. Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount as we have been reading during this whole Feast of the Epiphany. This whole season we have been reading about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It starts with blessed are the poor in spirit, that whole thing. We've got several of them right up here on our wall. Not all of them, but some of them. And Jesus teaches on the Mount all through the 5th chapter of Matthew, all through the 6th chapter, and almost the whole 7th chapter of Matthew. And the portion that was appointed for today, I had hoped, was from Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34. And this is what it says. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus is teaching on the, on the mount. And he is helping people to understand what the kingdom of God is about. Matthew takes a lot of time in his gospel helping us be aware of Jesus' teaching about what the kingdom of God is about. It's not some future reality, but what can be made known here and now. And so these passages, all through the 5th, 6th, and most of the 7th chapter, are giving us instructions about how to live in the kingdom of God here and now. And Jesus tells us, as he tells those listeners in the scripture, that you cannot serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other, or you're devoted to one and you despise the other. And he summarizes them as wealth and God. Now, I want to make sure you know that you can serve wealth and have no money. And you can serve God and have a lot of money. It really has nothing to do about the volume in your bank account. It has everything to do with your orientation. And so Jesus is inviting his listeners to orient themselves toward God when they plan for their security and the future of their lives not toward the material possessions and wealth of this world. That is as applicable now as it was way back then. 
Because you see, we do consider our future. And we do think about, do I have what I need for the future? Do I have enough in my retirement account? Am I prepared for three to six months of no work? Have I saved for my ch children's education? Do I have the right insurance to prepare me for whatever might go wrong? These are all ways that we direct ourselves in finding our security, basing it against the material possessions of this world, which Jesus has summarized as wealth. Jesus instead invites us to orient ourselves toward God, knowing that God, as Jesus reminds us, cares about us more than we even remember sometimes to care about ourselves. Consider the birds of the air, he said. Consider the lilies of the field. And are you not of more value than they? Consider how it is that God provides for that part of creation. And won't God provide for you, O you of little faith? So Jesus is inviting us to think about how we orient ourselves when we think about the security that we long for, for the life, the fullness of life that we crave. When we serve wealth, we are as indentured servants. We are always trying to have the right amount, but then the right amount changes. The stock market crashes. The housing bubble bursts. We indeed get light laid off from the company that promised so much. We find out that the news from that health test is worse than what we expected. We can't prepare for all that we long for in the security of this world and orienting ourselves toward material means to satisfy those longings will always fall short. Just as an indentured servant thinks that their freedom is just a few years away, only to find as they grow closer that the rules have changed. Instead, Jesus says, remember that you are a child of God, and all that the Father has is all yours and that the Father longs to share with you and can share with you the security that you long for in this life. That you are invited, Jesus invites us, to orient ourselves toward the good news made known in him because all of these things will be added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you too. Jesus invites us into remembering that. He goes on then to say, do not worry. It's nice how simple that sentence is. It's much more difficult to do in life than what it sounds like. Do not worry, Jesus says, because God knows what you need. But we do worry. We do get the statements. We do get the mail. We do get the news. And all of a sudden we think, oh no, I don't know if I've got what it takes for the future. That worry becomes our prayer. And Jesus invites us to take those very words and turn them into our prayer. When our gut tightens, or when our shoulders feel heavy, or when our mind races, that is the, those are the words for our prayer. We can say to God, I am stressed about this. I'm concerned. I don't even know where to start. My fear is overcoming me. That's the prayer. 
And even in bringing it to God, we reorient ourselves. We say to God, please help with this. I need to remember that you have got all of this in your hands. Please help me remember that you've got all of this in your hands. Even in saying the prayer, we find ourselves reorienting ourselves, remembering who we are, God's children, and that God provides for our needs, even in ways we don't expect. And we can come to trust in that. This doesn't mean we don't work, but we work as co-creators because we're children of God rather than indentured servants who are just trying to be free. Jesus reminds us, do not worry. And so those worries become our prayer, reminding us that God cares for it all. Last week, I think it was Friday morning, our almost 11-year-old was making her lunch as she does every morning. And she said, Mom, I just realized that tomorrow isn't real. I said, yes, it is. Tomorrow is real. No, it's not real. Because when we get to tomorrow, it'll be today. And so began our philosophical conversation over spreading cream cheese on a bagel. And we came to realize how we were using that word real. She was saying, you never can touch tomorrow. It's never real. It's always the next day. And I was saying, it's real because we can conceive of it. We can imagine what tomorrow might be. And we put things on tomorrow. We write it down so we won't forget. Because we think, oh, tomorrow, I want to do whatever that is. But indeed, once we get to tomorrow, it becomes today. And so tomorrow is only real as far as we can imagine it. Jesus says, even in our teachings this morning, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Today's worries are sufficient for today. Now, rather than that being a defeatist perspective, Jesus is calling us back to the reality. Jesus is saying, this is what you got. Today, you can actually touch. Tomorrow, you will never touch. You will never touch tomorrow. Because when you get to tomorrow, it'll be today. So remember, today, Jesus calls us back to the liberating work of today. In living into this new kingdom that Christ is laying out, we claim our identity and we build the future because of today. Seek ye first me, Jesus says. Hunger after God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. We are challenged in this gospel lesson to be liberated, to be set free from our indentured servitude to claiming our childness, our identity as children of God, living into this kingdom that God calls us into, that Jesus is telling us how to do it step by step. It's not a formula, perhaps, where we can insert particular things, but it is all we need to know how to live into this new kingdom. And so we are invited, as we come into this season of Lent, to remember who we are, to go through this journey of Christ's last days, to remember how it is we have been freed, the liberty that we have been given in Christ's death and resurrection, so that we can claim who we are, children of God, children of the kingdom of God, all that the Father has is ours, and we are invited to claim it. Amen. <laughs>